Hello, listeners, and welcome to Fighting Failure, a podcast where we discuss solutions to the climate crisis. This is episode six, and is part one to a two-part segment titled, What You Put on Your Soil. And the topic for part one is pesticides. Sandhya, would you give a brief introduction to pesticides for those who don't know or might not be 100% sure? Sure. A pesticide, which can be an insecticide, herbicide, or fungicide, is a chemical or bioagent that is often sprayed on crops or vegetables that may be prone to pests snacking on them. This, in many cases, can be better for the farmer, at least in the short term, because it prevents pests such as aphids from harming your crop harvest and, hence, income or food source. More on that later. For now, some introductions. I'm Hisham, sometimes nicknamed Hisho, and I'm your host for this episode. My co-hosts are... Well, I'm Oscar, but I'd just like to add, I would change it from sometimes nicknamed Hisho to always nicknamed Hisho. And I'm Sandhya, and I'll be hosting some episodes in the future, so look out for that. Okay, as in many episodes, we like to start with a couple of stats that will be important to keep in mind and comprehend throughout the episode. Again, I would like to highlight the REDD plus demographic that we mentioned in episode 5, which was about vegetarianism and veganism. If you haven't yet listened to that episode, why not go back and give it a listen? Anyway, Oscar, would you do the honors? Sure. So this demographic that we're looking at is, as I said last time, a vertical pie chart, which talks about the different things that are deforestation and degradation drivers. So for the first chart about deforestation, it says that the two biggest factors are agriculture for subsistence agriculture. That's that's when people grow stuff to eat and commercial agriculture where people grow stuff for other people to eat. And then maybe the last 20 percent are things like mining infrastructure and a very small amount of urban expansion. So this is true in Africa, Latin America and subtropical Asia. Although, especially in Latin America, there's a much higher amount of agriculture and a much smaller amount of infrastructure. The second chart highlights um, the area, uh, which is very difficult to read, area proportion of deforestation drivers. Uh, so it's that's a hard and fast value rather than just a percentage. So Latin America has by far the highest amount of deforestation, with 45,000 kilometers squared deforested every year. Most of that for agriculture. In the last episode, I described what these were in relation to countries, but I can't be bothered to do that this time. Go back and listen. Anyway, another familiar demographic by the US EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, in 2000, it says up here 2008, and then this is 2018. But anyway, um, it's a pie chart, except this time it is a circular pie chart. Um, Greenhouse gas emissions by economic sector. So you might not be surprised to find out that 28% of that is transportation, 27% of that is electricity, 22% is industry. But the one I think we're thinking about in this section is the 10% coming from agriculture. This 10% of greenhouse gas emissions comes from the 50% just less of the United States that is agricultural land. To build upon that, scientific reports mention that 22% of all pesticides consumed are consumed in the USA. So I guess you could say that is of all the pesticides used in the world, 20 percent of that is in just the United States. As always, guys, links will be in the show notes for if it piques your interest and you would like to do some light reading, or if you would prefer to have a visual reference to these statistics, which I'm sure I would if I was listening to a podcast, links in the show notes or description or show notes or whatever. Let's move on to the many problems with pesticides. Not many people like bugs, especially farmers, and you can probably understand why. Creepy crawlies. I think that just because they startle people, they go this direction and that direction. They can get all over you. And, you know, no one really loves bugs, unless if you're a bug freak, which some people are. Anyway, regardless of this, bugs. Yes, bugs are crucial to our ecosystems. Reasons include insect pollination, which is the form of pollination for many plants and is part of plant reproduction. And if you are wondering, it's not only humans that must fertilize to reproduce. The pollen in a flower must be transferred 
transferred from the stem into the stigma for the process of reproduction to begin. So when a bee lands on a flower or lands elsewhere on the flower, or as it flies away, it drops pollen onto the flower for fertilization to occur, which enables the production of fruit and seeds for trees and plants to grow in the future, and for some of us humans to enjoy. Some insects feed on carrion, dead meat, and other matter which is otherwise wasted and becomes gross. Insects serve as a food source for other insects, amphibians, reptiles, mammals, and more. This means that they are important for f the food net because so many species feed on them. In essence, so if, if you take out a species of bugs, which, you know, a bird feeds on, that takes away the, the bird's food, food source, and then that bird in turn, in turn dies out. And that was similar to when the bison were being hunted in the USA, the wolf population dropped dramatically. So it's that same kind of connection in the, in the net. Anyway, um, so looking back on this decision of spraying pesticides, is killing a bug really worth it for a farmer? Um, because, you know, killing a bug makes it harder for you to grow plants in the future because it's harder to pollinate and it also will affect the world around you. And this is a hotly debated topic, and so I think we'll just move on from this for now. Um, but a lot of people have controversial thoughts on this, and if you want to do some research, go ahead on the internet. If you have anything which you'd like to add to that, please say so, and we can mention that in the show notes. So as formerly mentioned, microbial life in soil is crucial. Uh, we've said this before, it's all about soil fertility. So pesticides, because they're toxic to bugs, are also toxic to microbial life. And so this is, this is where you get into a very vicious cycle of your pesticides are killing the pests, maybe in the first year, and making it easier for your plant to grow but it's also killing the microbes that make it easier for the plant to grow. So in, in some ways it's helping and in some ways in hurt, it's hurting. And this means that as you move on and on, using pesticides, it gets harder and harder to grow the same amount of crop because you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot. It's almost like you had a gun and a mirror, like a half-silvered mirror. So you shoot your gun at the mirror. Half of the bullet goes through and kills your enemy, but half of it also reflects back and hits your foot, um, if you want to think about it that way. So to add to that, another you know downside to pesticides is that they're actually very, very dangerous for humans. Diarrhea, nausea, blindness, dizziness, and death are all some side effects of exposure to pesticides. If a pregnant woman is exposed during pregnancy, I guess, so I didn't, I didn't have to add that. Anyway, the child is more prone to lower birth weight, learning problems, and cancer. And this, this so this not only affects the woman's health, but also the child's health. So pesticides are actually dangerous for those who apply them, um, especially if precautions aren't taken. Yeah, and pesticides don't only affect humans and the plants. Pesticides can kill animals and affect their reproductive ability and hormones within the animal. Yep, and so that means that, that you know, in, in spraying pesticides, it actually becomes harder for certain animals to reproduce, and that affects their, their reproductive cycle, so that means that you'll have less of certain wildlife um, showing up. What, what was that, Oscar? Were you going to say something? All I can say is, why did he have to learn to whistle? Oh, okay. Why? That was helpful. But also, I did want to talk about this topic because it's really interesting to see that pesticides don't just kill pests. They're called a pesticide, but they should really just be called a really dangerous chemical that we throw everywhere without any restrictions. And it's very dangerous. Like, it kills people, it kills animals, it kills pests. It'll probably... <laughs> We're just lucky it doesn't kill the plants as well. It'll be killing us millions of years in the to future. To be honest, I think we would probably be lucky if pesticides killed plants as well, because then we wouldn't use them. I, I agree. 
And I, I just wanted to add, you know, pesticides, you know, um, they were actually developed. Uh, me and Oscar know this because we watched this movie, Kiss the Ground, um, which I recommend to everyone else. Um, but in Kiss the Ground, it's highlighted that pesticides were actually developed for warfare as a toxin to, to kill humans. Um, right? Am I right, Oscar? I believe that is true. I think that's what the documentary said, was that pesticides were developed by the Nazis in the war, and then they were brought home by American chemical companies. And they were like, oh, look at this. Let's put it on everything we eat. I think, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I, yes, so I, we believe that that's correct. If we're not, we will correct that in the show notes. But I'm, I, I, I remember that. So anyway, <laughs> um, and moving on, pesticides affect the germination process. Um, for those of you who do not know, germination is the process of plant growth from a seed in the soil up until the point of the plant shoot breaking the surface of the soil. And this means that not only is it harder for the plant to grow because of, of lower microbial life in the soil, but also the plant's germination process is far more difficult. So there's not really many upsides to the use of pesticides other than it'll give you a couple of good years of harvests. Anything to add, guys? I love the way that you've structured this episode because we start with like, oh, bugs are bad because they eat the food. So what's the problem with killing the bug? And then you tell us why we shouldn't kill the bug. And then you tell us why we shouldn't use the pesticide. So I think it's been really well done, Hisha. Good job. But also, it's really interesting to see uh, how there's really no benefits to this in the long term. It's, it's very much a short-term solution um, and it kills people. But not all hope is lost because now we're going to tell you the solutions after, I think, is it an A chord or a D chord, he showed that you played on the Mando for me? A D chord. After the D chord. Let's go with some alternatives. So number one alternative is biocontrol. And this might sound like a very confusing term, but bio is from biology and control is, I mean, what do you think? Control is control. Biological control. Biological control has been used since around 304 CE in ancient China. It's like around and then you give an exact year. The use of the pest's natural enemy, thank you very much, in close proximity to your crops can reduce the pests that you struggle with. Um, it, it can be a bacterial strain, microscopic worms, or some bugs that you buy and place near your crops for that purpose. It may not 100% eradicate the pest, that, but it will naturally reduce their numbers. Plus, you'll have to make sure that the thing that you're using it's, is not itself a pest to your crops. For more on this, you can check the show notes where a link has been provided for further reading. I find this to be a very interesting solution. And if you do, please check it out. It's great for home gardens. It's great for industrial farming. It's great for all types of farming, gardening, whatever you do. Just check it out because this is a great solution. Yeah, I like I like this. This has very much permaculture vibes to it. It's like you're using nature to help you. Yes, it is. So in this case, you're there is something that's that's a pest to your crop, and then you're finding the pest to the pest. But what you also mentioned is that your enemy's enemy is not your friend. So I, I do like this because you're not as much intruding on the nature with your chemicals. You're sort of letting nature be nature. And it's it's a win-win, I guess. The pest that's the pest to your pest is is getting satisfied and your crops are getting satisfied. So the only bit that's losing out is the pest that's the pest to your crop. We were actually learning about something like this in biology recently because, uh, what is it called? Like natural selection. So if there's a lot of uh, an excess, if there's an excess of predators, um, then there's going to be how every, every little thing in an environment like affects, uh, we were learning it about it in 
uh, in the context of melanin and how for uh, coat colors and blending them with their environment. But this applies too. Like if you're gonna add in new if you're gonna bring in new predators to the environment, the pests are going to um, decrease. And the next one is natural barriers. So this is very sim similar to biocontrol. However, it involves the natural world doing its job for you. Instead of placing a natural enemy or bacteria strain to eradicate the pest, you focus on enabling this nature around you to remove the pest instead. So um, birds or other bugs or certain mammals can all do the job for you. By creating a habitat for um, these animals and allowing them to stay nearby your house on your, or on your property, they're able to feed the pests on your crops. Uh, regardless, these birds and bugs can also occasionally be pests, so be careful. Um, so this is instead of like going out and getting the animals directly, you're influencing the um, area around your crops to be a natural habitat for, your, for the animals you're trying to um, draw in. So this is all really interesting. And again, it feels like that permaculture. Hisho, could you give me just like a specific example of, of a use of natural barriers? This is quite general. I'll just give you a, a very general example. So, you know, you can, create, uh, you can create a home for certain birds. Certain birds do feed on certain pests, certain beetles, which might be feeding on your crops. And in providing a home, maybe birdhouses or just not cutting down trees in the first place, for, so enabling the birds to kind of stay around your, your place of your crops, those birds can, can feed on your pests. Those birds will prosper and you'll also get the benefit so that's kind of the idea. That's a very broad example, um, but I guess it's very specific to where you live. So if there might be a specific bird where you live. Um, there might be specific birds. There might be a specific like a specific mammal which you could provide a home for. Anyway, that would take some research um, on on your part. Um, but I think we can move on. I just wanted to first, uh, before we move on, I just wanted to highlight that another difference, I think, between natural barriers and biocontrol is that oftentimes I think biocontrol is the use of microscopic things. Um, so I think oftentimes it would be like a bacterial strain, a strain or these, uh, there's a specific type of microscopic worm which you can use. And those are all like, those are all evidently microscopic, right? And so those, it's not like animals necessarily right so um natural barriers is more like the use of animals and uh biocontrol is bacteria and other microscopic organisms oscar would you like to highlight our uh well our next point so polyculture i know poly is greek but what's culture poly is greek for many it comes from oh what was the word we learned i think it's poli where's my greek textbook when i need it um but culture comes from okay this annoys me this annoys me is it french it's from French. Is it? And Latin. Latin. Which means they've... Let me just double check. <laughs> Have they combined a Greek and a Latin? A Latin. Sorry. Polytymology. It comes from Greek. From the Greek poloi. Yeah, that's the word I was thinking about. Pi, omicron, double <laughs> lambda, omicron. I, I, I literally study ancient Greek at school. Um, but poly comes from Greek. And culture comes from Latin. Cultura. I also do Latin, but anyway. And that annoys me because they put them together. Uh, if you're going to do a Latin word, you should have the Latin word for many. Uh, which is multus. So you should have multiculture um, or have the Greek word for culture. Awesome, Oscar. Great <laughs> job. Let's move on. I'm going to call it multiculture. So we mentioned this approach in our discussion of permaculture in episode five. Multiculture is the planting of certain veggies in close proximity to others so they can help each other out. And then he shows put in double asterisks, bud to bud. Is that supposed to be a pun, he show? Yes, it is. So one thing I guess we mentioned in the last episode was that if you have chilies, and other veggies, the chilies oils 
um, will ward off pests. And I think that's pretty smart. That's like, that's smart. I'm not sure that we're actually, I don't, we, we haven't confirmed that it's the oils, but uh, we assume. Also, can you do a quick search about, what about, do, do, a, do a search about what, what about oils Chile actually oils. Um, drives away pests. Permit. It's always Oscar Girl, doing the searching. <laughs> I'm Uncle Because Google. I know you can. Natural insecticides, permaculture, maybe chili pepper. Um, I don't know. Maybe it makes sense. It'll, it's something to do with the chili. <laughs> something to do with the chili. Cool. Anyway, I know that in certain, I know that in certain homemade pesticides, well, I guess natural pesticides, you can you can use chili oil. So I just assume that it's the oil. Anyway, you can continue. Yeah. So the pests on a certain plant may not fare well in close proximity to other plants. This hence reduces the number of pests on that plant. If they both do this for each other, it becomes a two-way street and makes your life as a farmer a lot easier. Uh, it's, yeah, it's like a symbiotic relationship. So you have, you're each helping out each other in a, in, a, in a different way. So that's cool. Some extra benefits include some plants add nutrients to the soil and henceforth reduce the need for fertilizer. For example, legumes, such as beans, tend to pump nitrogen into the soil, benefiting other plants in the way that fertilizer with inserted nitrogen would. Some plants can assist in control of weeds by releasing natural chemicals that slow other plants' growth. Some plants need controlled shade. Other plants can provide this while they simultaneously get the necessary sunlight that they need. For notes on good plant companions, so which veggies, fruits, and flowers to plant next to each other, find the link in the show notes that will provide an in-depth chart for your use in gardens and farms. I want to click this link. It just says the link. Security warning. This this document is trying to connect you to nt.gov.au. If you trust this site, choose allow. <laughs> if you do not trust this... Yay, it's a gov.au. I love, I love gov.au because they're gov.australia. What's NT? Isn't NT the Northern Territory? What's, what's NT? Uh, what is it? Norway. Why no. the Northern uh, Territory? That's just a huge desert. Yeah, NT is the Northern Territory. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I didn't actually end up clicking on the link. Nor why the Northern Territory? Northern Territory has no, no plants. It's just a desert. Anyway, good on you, Australia. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Okay. Best of all, best of all solutions is a combination of all of these. Um, and that just seems to be quite self-explanatory. You know, you could use certain plants. In, so I guess like none of these will 100% eradicate the pests which you suffer with, but in using all of them, you'll greatly decrease the pests which you deal with. And I guess using all of them is kind of that idea of permaculture, like not wasting anything, like st strategically planning at what you do so that you have minimal waste and maximum benefit. And so that's kind of a combination of all of these would be best. So why not try it out? Anyway, our next solution, plant your own garden. It's not that hard. I've done it many times. I helped out with my parents in the summer. We had a balcony, um, even though I guess we had a garden underneath, like at the bottom of the house, because there's plenty of grass and stuff. We had a, gar we had a garden on our balcony, our grandma's balcony. And we got plentiful fruit, uh, vegetables from that garden. And you don't have to use pesticides. So I guess that's one solution. Um, next, boycott and call out pesticide users. So we discussed this with palm oil last time. But uh, in our last episode, episode five, go back and listen to that. But you can also do this with anything, I guess, anything you don't agree with. So pesticides, why not? So if you find out that someone's using pesticides to spray their plants, 
call them out on social media, um, on whatever. You can, I guess, make a poster, put it up in your school, not to buy from whatever source. Uh, do it in your own way. Uh, kind of call out these pesticide users. And you can also boycott um, just for your own safety and for your natural world's safety. And lastly... Yeah, has, haven't there been some examples of people who have been actually had health issues from consuming products with pesticides? If, if you don't wash your things, your veggies properly, and they've come from something with pesticide, they... You could consume pesticides, which we said before had dangerous issues or the pesticides could get into the water supply. So not not only should you boycott it for the environment, it's also for your own personal safety right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Look out for yourself. And finally, stay local. Hashtag keep things local. And if you're going to buy some veggies at your local supplier, check for information on the suppliers of your veggies to make sure that you're not buying any veggies which have been grown with the use of pesticides for, again, your own safety and the safety of the natural world around you. So wouldn't that be just buying organic? So I guess it's just checking um, that your veggies are all organically sourced, yeah. And so the, oftentimes you'll find in stores that some um, some products have a sticker which says organic, and I think that that means that you, there's no use of toxic pesticides on the veggies. Yeah, they have to be grown without pesticides. So back when I was in year seven, we were studying farming and geography. And one of the things we did was, which is really fun, was an organic versus conventional farming taste test. Hello, listeners. Oscar from the future here. I just wanted to interject. Did I say conventional farming? What I mean is industrial farming. Farming on a large scale with lots of chemicals. While it has become conventional, organic farming is really what humans have been doing for thousands of years. And the reason this is a TTS voice is because my dad is playing the saxophone right now. So we were each given a product, one that was organic and one which was not organic. And we were asked to compare them. So one thing that we found was that organic vegetables are almost always smaller because they don't have fertilizers and they don't have pesticides. It means that you generally get a smaller crop. Um, but in terms of taste, it could also be that the conventionals taste better. And so so this means that you can have, we've always said this, um, there's a way to have, you have to make sacrifices for the environment. It costs more and you get less. You're protecting the world for your future. And you're protecting yourself. And now you will hear the mandolin D chord, which means that we are moving on to the article club. Okay, so this week, our article is titled Eggshell Cracks from National Geographic. And what it highlights is that in the 40s and 50s, there was a, power, a powerful insecticide called DDT that was very widely used in the USA um, and I guess in Europe as well. And when exposed to DDT, raptors such as falcon, hawks, eagles, ospreys, and in addition to these raptors, pelicans were all suffering due to thinner egg due to laying thinner eggshells, right? And this means that they had a harder time keeping eggs intact, and hence this meant that less eggs were hatching and numbers dropped. And this is why you had all throughout the USA there was all these issues with these big these big birds, all the all of the vultures, the ospreys, all these the bald eagle was almost extinct. Um by the 70s, and it took extensive conservation efforts to really bring them back. And it's the same with all these birds, even uh, condors, the Californian condors, all these birds suffered, you know, from throughout the USA, they all suffered from uh, DDT, and that's why it was banned in the USA. Um, and so I guess now there's lots of um, effort to try and bring them back, but you can still see the imprint, you know, there's still less um, there's still less raptors than there would have been and it's still you know when I go back in the summer and I'm, I'm on a hike if the if at the top of the trail there's nesting hawks we're not allowed to continue 
to the top of the trail because they don't want people getting close enough to the hawks to kind of harm their breeding site. And they're still, they're probably going to have to do this for a, a long time to restore the initial population of raptors and pelicans because, because of the harm that we've done with our pesticides. Yeah, for sure. Um, out of curious, curiosity, Hisham, what does DDT stand for? <laughs> yeah, pronounce it. I dare you to pronounce it. It stands for dichlorodiphenyltrichloroethane. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> Good to know. That is a hard, oh my gosh, okay. That's quite a lot. Uh, that's quite the mouthful. Dichlorodiphenyl trichloroethane. No wonder. No wonder it was. It was bad. It's so. It's so hard to pronounce. It's got so. It's probably got so many different random <laughs> chemicals in it. Yeah, it's like an assault on the mouth. <laughs> Wait, I want to see what's the chemical structure. What's the chemical structure? Give me the chemical structure. Okay, so why is it so complicated? It's actually quite simple. It's just. It's got chlorines, and then it's got these weird hexagons, but I don't know what the hexagons of. Huh? It's diphenyl. Mind ooh, ooh, sharing. Listen to this, listen to this. DDT was first synthesized in 1874 by Austrian chemist Othmar Zeidler. Ooh, ooh, listen to this, listen to this. DDT was used in the second half of World War II to limit the spread of malaria and typhus. Ah. Uh, what? Okay. I think, if I'm not mistaken... That's very interesting. ...that DDT was actually just sprayed everywhere in the U.S., and that's how they eliminated malaria, I think. Yeah, I, I believe that that's right, actually. That's, that's, a very, that's very interesting. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's right. And that was, I guess, maybe one of the original pesticides, and that was one of the original, yeah, that's really bad. Anyway, I just wanted to end by highlighting countries which have banned DDT, just so that you listeners know, and so that if you're unsure, I mean, just... If you find someone using DDT, arrest them, whether it's illegal or not. Um, murder their body and hide it under a bridge. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, the countries that have banned DDT include Argentina, Australia, Bulgaria, Canada, Colombia, Cyprus, Ethiopia, Finland, Hong Kong, Japan, Lebanon, Mozambique, Norway, Switzerland, and the USA. Finally. Um, and do you guys have anything else to add? I'm worried by the lack of the United Kingdom on this list. I- I'm just going to ask Uncle Google. Okay, DDT. No, India's not on the list. I think that a lot of oh, the dear. developing nations actually aren't on the list because it's so hard to ban. It says it says that DDT was previously used widely in, in, in uh, industry and agriculture, was banned in 1986. So I don't know why this list doesn't have the UK, but it is banned in the UK, thank okay. God. Cool. Thankfully, yes. Okay, that's a good correction, Oscar. Uh, I just, the list I found did not include the UK. But I'm grateful that the UK has banned, uh, especially knowing that the UK is uh, a developed nation. You know, they should have banned it by now. So I'm really happy that they have. When I first looked through it, I was like, wait, there's no there's no England. There's no Ireland. I was like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with this list? OK, so that's good clarification. Anything else? I think there's a partial ban in India. Yeah, I, there, I would assume that certain certain countries have banned certain pesticides. Um, certain countries have banned certain pesticides without banning pesticides as a whole. Um, I don't think that there's... Are there any... Also, do you want to do a search? Are there any countries which have fully banned pesticides? I wouldn't be surprised if, like, some of the Nordic countries or something like that. Pan-International Consolidated List of Banned Pesticides. The countries with the most known bans are Saudi Arabia with 65 bans, Cambodia with 56, EU with 48 banned and 169 HHPs not approved, China with 46, Thailand with 40, Mauritania with 42, Guinea with 37, Oman with 37, Benin 35. So I will just... Like, keep that tab open and put it in the show notes. 
Interesting. Good to know. Good to know. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's great. And it's good to see that some of those countries are also developing. I wanted to take this time before we end to plug our new website. If you now type in Fighting Fail Out at Earth, it takes you to this website. I spent all of yesterday making it uh, and I'm really proud of how it looks. So if you guys could just hop over to Fighting Fail Out at Earth, check it out. I think it's really nice. It's got the nice podcast logo. You can find us wherever you get your podcast, cho- choose your podcast app, listen to the latest episode, join our community, see our trailer. It's also got links to about us, sustainable merch, all about our wonderful community, our Discord server, our blog. I, I said that. <laughs> you can contact us, press kit, and links. Uh, also, if you want to become a bigger part of the community, if you're already following us on Instagram or YouTube, thank you so much. But if you wanted to get be part of the climate discussion, you can just go to discord.fightingfailure.earth, make an account. It's quick and easy. Uh, and then you can discuss all this interesting stuff with everyone else in the community. You can even, we're hoping to do some live podcasts. We plan to do that today. Malawi internet, unfortunately, foiled those plans, but you can hang out with everyone else. So we'd love to see some more of you guys there. And if you're already on there, it's been great talking to you. Hisham, I think you'd want to round off. Um, I just want to first <laughs> apologize. We've been talking each uh, we've been talking over each other a lot this episode. Um, and so so certain areas might have been hard to understand. I hope Oscar will edit that out in some places. We've just been having some lag because of internet issues and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I know me too. A lot of editing to do. Oh boy, lucky it's Easter holidays. I think with that, we will end this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes. Bye. See you next time. Bye. We always end these episodes as if it was a phone call.